Okay, we're beginning here on the bottom of Kav Gimel Bet by the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, HaKoreh Torah. someone who's reading the Torah, Lo Yivchot Mishlosha Psukim. The minimum amount for any Aliyah is three Psukim. Lo Yikralim Turgan, you will tell me Pasuk Echad. For the Maturgaman, you can't read for him more than one Pasuk to translate at a time. So first of all, the minimum for any Aliyah is three Psukim. We already discussed this a number of times. In addition to that, when they are doing the translation on the fly, the translation can only be done one pasuk at a time, whereas binavi for the haftorah shlosha you can read three psukim at a time and have them translated. As Rashi notes over here by the navi emir if he wants to, you don't have to do it that way, but if you choose to do it that way, you can. We don't worry as much if he makes a mistake in the translation. Because that's not a halachic ramification. So with regards to the Torah, where there are halachic ramifications, over there, we want you to read one pasuk at a time, translate it, and ensure that the translation is actually accurate. But in Avi, we're trying to give you a sense of what's going on. If you make a mistake here or there, we're less worried about it because of the implications, or the ramifications aren't as serious. That's the difference between Torah and Navi. Hayush loshtan shalosh parshiot. If in the Navi, the three psukim actually are comprised of three separate parshiot, meaning that there's a gapping, a samach or a pay between them, then there you have to read them each pasuk individually. You can't combine them, the three psukim. Midalgim b'navi, you're allowed to skip around in the Navi. But you cannot skip around in the Torah. How far can you skip around in the Navi? You have to be able to roll there or get to that location before the Maturgaman can finish his translation. So you have enough time, again, for three psukim. So if he translates three psukim on the fly, whatever amount of time it would take him for those three psukim, you have to be able to roll to that next location. But beyond that is unacceptable. As Rashi says, Can't keep the congregation waiting around silently. That's one of the reasons that we take out three sifrei Torah, for instance, in cases where you have Parshat Shkalim, Rosh Chodesh Shabbat, because we don't want people sitting around while we roll the Torah. We want each one to have the location, open it up, and get to the location right away. So for that reason, by the Torah, we don't allow you to skip around, we don't allow you to move. By the Navi, we give you room to move around. Kumar is going to discuss all of this. Now, as far as Targum is considered, the translation, Tosavot over here mentions that there was a Minhag in the time of the Rishonim, in his time, that they did translate. They still did this translation with the Aramaic. And that he said that they had an interesting practice with the Torah, which was that they translate the first three psukim in one shot, the three psukim. Then after that, they do one, 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 one puzzle at a time. The reason is to remember the Ikar Halacha, that you're allowed to do three at a time. But after that, they did one at a time. On the other hand, our minog is not to do this translation. Only today the Temanim do it, still do this with the Aramaic, but nobody else does it. And that Tosafot says is based on yesterday's Gemara. Yesterday's Gemara on the top of Chav Gimel Amud Bet, over there, the Gemara discussed the issue whether there makom sheish miturgan and makom she'ein miturgaman, a place that does have a translator and a place that doesn't have a translator, and that allowed you the room in terms of movement and salikinyana, lo salikinyana. But you see from the Gemara over there, there were places that didn't have somebody doing this translation on the fly. So the fact is that the Gemara knows about that, and there were places that had that. So that means that our minhag, if we don't do it. 
There's nothing wrong with that because there were places in the time of the Gemara that didn't do it, and the Gemara doesn't criticize them. It just says that that wasn't the practice in those places. So our practice follows those places based on that Gemara. Tosfot says in the previous Amud, We rely on this, the fact that the Gemara entertains that there are places like that. Now the Gemara here on Chavdal begins. These three psukim that are the makeup, the minimum of an aliyah, where do they come from? So now this is interesting because, first of all, we used this back on Chof Aleph when we asked, how do you know that there are three aliyot? So there the Gemara says, oh, you know three aliyot because Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ktuvim. Others say that three, Brachot, Birkat, Kohanim. But that was one of the reasons given for the three aliyot. Now we're using it to describe the three psukim that each aliyah contains. In addition to that, we saw yesterday, we saw the possibility that the three, five, and seven came from the Shomrei Asaf. They came from the guards and the Taksisei Machut, the protocols in royalty. So you see the Gemara is giving different reasons and using the same reason for different items. And I think what is shown by this, and we've mentioned it a number of times, is that the number itself does not necessarily have meaning. It's just showing you that this number has significance. And therefore it's appropriate to use such a number because it has significance and therefore giving aliyot or three aliyot would be a number that makes sense. Not because inherently there's something important about the number three. It's just that now we know that three has importance in other places and therefore it would be appropriate to use in this manner. Now the says, if they are three different parshiot in the Navi, then you have to read them separately. Kigon. What is an example of that? The example is one of the Shiva de Nechemta. It's the Haftorah for Parshat Shoftim, which is from Yishayahu Nun Bet. And over there it says, Kigon Amar Hashem Chinam Nimkartem. That's one pasuk. The next pasuk is, Kigon Amar Hashem Elokim Mitzrayim Yerad Ami Barishona Lagur. That my nation went down there in the beginning to live in Mitzrayim. And then the third pasuk is, Ata Malipo Neum Hashem. Now, what do I have to do here, says Hashem? These are three psukim in a row, pasuk gimel dalet hey, and the Gemara says that they are broken up into parshiot. Each one is an individual parshia, and because of that, you can't translate them three in a row. You have to separate them out and read pasuk by pasuk and translate them pasuk by pasuk. Even though in our Navi, these aren't found as three separate parshiot, Nevertheless, the Ran says that Lavdavka, that they're parshiot, but they're three different inyanim, they're three different topics. So it doesn't have to literally be a parshia with a peyar samech, it just has to be topically differentiated, and that's enough of a reason to separate them so we don't create confusion by translating three different topics in a single translation. Though Tosafon mentions that there is a Torah from Yeshua that we read that has the same phenomenon, and we don't do this. I mean, that's again in the time of Tosafot when they still translated it. For us today, that's not really relevant because we don't translate. Now, the says, You can skip around the Navi, but you can't skip around the Torah. Virimini, is that really true? We had in the Gemara in Yoma that the Kohen Gadol in Yoma Kippurim is Kore Achreimot. He reads in the beginning for Pashat Achreimot, which is the Abudat Yoma Kippurim. And then after that, he goes back Be'asor. He skips to Pashat Emor and he reads the relevant passages from Yom HaKippurim in Pashat Emor. And he's skipping. So here we have a case in the Torah. The Mishnah says it's totally fine to skip. So Bai applies the logic that the Mishnah uses with regards to the Navi, applies it to the Torah as well. 
you have the right to skip around the Torah as long as you don't exceed the amount of time it would take to translate. Now that window or duration is going to be smaller by the Torah, because in the Torah you're translating pasuk by pasuk, whereas in Navi you're translating three psukim at a time. So you're going to have a very short window to do that. From Achrei to Amor is very short, you're in Sefer Vayikra. If they can do that quick enough, so therefore it's permitted. Doesn't our Mishnah say explicitly, you can skip in the Navi, you can't skip in the Torah. And how much can you skip? That means that the definition of what you're allowed to do in the Navi is the amount of time it would take for the Meturgaman to finish. From that you would infer that in the Torah you can't do this whatsoever. You can't skip around whatsoever. It says, I don't know exactly sure what the form of this word is. It probably should say, but in your note, the Gemara uses the terminology, means a plural of inyan. So Gemara says, there's a difference topically. If you change topics, then you're not allowed to skip around. If you don't change topics, then you're allowed to skip around. Atanya here is benichuta. This is supporting the distinction that we just made. You're allowed to skip around the Torah as long as you're topically consistent. Because then people can hold cup. They can stay with you. You're not going to lose them. In the Navi, you don't have that restriction. Again, we're much more makil. We're much more lenient with regards to the Navi because with regards to the Navi, it's not as important. It's not as dire if we get something wrong here or someone misunderstands something. So therefore, we allow you to skip around even in two topics. Kan vekan, both of these are still bound by the simple rule that the translator doesn't finish what he's saying. So there's no tircha de tzibura, there's no having the people sit around while silently while you roll. Tani yidoch, we have another brayta. So that's number one. Even in Navi, where we allow you to skip around, you can't move from safer to safer. That's just too much. That's too much confusion, that's too difficult, we're not going to let you do that. The second thing the brayta says is that shneimasar is considered to be one Navi. So you can skip around in Shnei Masar, which we actually do in Shabbat Shuvah, different minhagim about what to lane in Shabbat Shuvah, but we do move around within the Shnei Masar. And the last one is, If we do allow you to move around, whether it's contained within a Sefer or within Shnei Masar, you have to do it in order. You can't do things out of order. You can't go to a later parak and then go to an earlier parak. You have to do it sequentially in the order of the Sefer. So here are some qualifications about when or how you're allowed to skip around. Again, with the Torah, you're only allowed to skip around if it's one topic. And the amount of time that it takes for the Meturgamon to finish translating, which is one pasuk, you have very little time, and you have to be topically consistent. In the Navi, you're allowed to switch topics. You're still bound by the fact that it has to be within one Sefer. All of Treyasar is one Sefer. And you must do it in the order of the Sefer. It has to go in a sequential manner. And then here you have a little more time to do it because you have three psukim that are being translated on the fly and that gives you time to roll or more time to roll so you could probably skip or create a bigger gap in the Navi than you would by the Torah. Alright, so it's interesting. In terms of correcting the person who's reading the Torah, you're asking is, here the Gemara seems to think that it's not such a big deal if someone makes a mistake or not, so why correct them? It's interesting from a number of facets. Which is, first of all, the Mishnah Bura Paskins that the eager way, if someone's not reading from a klaf, then the proper way to do it is to read along with them from the Sefer. So if a person's not reading from a klaf, then you should be reading it anyway yourself. 
So then it really has less ramification in terms of him making a mistake because everybody else is reading along with him. Now, if he's reading from a cloth or in places where they don't follow that practice and they're actually yotze with the person who's reading, then it does impact those people that are there because he made some mistake. The second thing to consider is that by the Torah, you have a offsetting issues or mitigating factors, which is, one, it's embarrassing to stop someone and correct them. But on the other hand, if it changes the meaning, we're going to stop them. So by the Torah, we weigh those two issues, and we say that if it makes a big difference in the meaning, or if it changes the meaning, then we're going to have to correct them. Even though it might be a little embarrassing, we correct them because we don't want that mistake to stand. Now by the Navi, you have two things here. If he's reading from a Sefer that has Nikudot in it and it has all those things in it, and he didn't prepare ahead of time that the way of today, is it really so embarrassing to be corrected because he didn't prepare ahead of time? He has it written in front of him. It's not going to cause him to lose his place or lose his way there because he has it all written there. So maybe it should be more okay or better to correct him because it has less embarrassment and has less ramifications in terms of correcting him. On the other hand, like you're saying, there's this other factor, which is, okay, we don't worry so much when you make a mistake or something's not translated properly. So I think that in general, if you're reading along or in congregations where people read along, they let them go and people don't make such big corrections. But where it's a serious issue or a serious correction or the person wouldn't be flustered by correcting them, then generally people do correct by the Haftorah. Even though, again, that it's not necessarily necessary or it's not so important. But on the other hand, it's a lot less embarrassing. And because of that, we do tend to correct people with Haftorah. Yeah, the only time we do Medagim B'Torah is on Atani Tzibur, when we read Pashat Vayichal Moshe. We actually skip there. It's a very short piece that we skip, so most people don't even know that we skip it, but we skip a little piece there in Pashat Kitisa. I think that's, as far as I can remember, the only place that we do any skipping. Skip, otherwise we don't do it. The only time you're going to have this come up is they don't have sufficient Sifrei Torah in a time when they need to read from multiple places, and that's the time you're going to end up having to roll it, and then you really don't have a choice because you don't have another option. And since you don't have another option, you end up rolling in it there, and then you might even roll longer than the amount of time it would take for them to finish up whatever they're doing. So in those cases, those are exceptions to the rule. All right, next Mishnah. Amaftir bin Avi, hu poreis alashma, hu over teva, hu noseid kapav. So the person who gets maftir, also along with that, gets to be poreis alashma, and over teva. He gets to be the whatever the Pores HaLashmaz, which we discussed yesterday, as well as Over Lifnei Tevah, the Chazarat HaShatz. And he also gets to Dochen if he's a Kohen. Now what's clear from the Mishnah here, and how times have changed, that the Maftir was not considered to be a big honor. It was actually something that was a little offensive to get Maftir. Because you didn't really get an Ali on the Torah, you got the Maftir, you got the Aftorah, which was a little bit on the lesser level of Kavod. Now, that problem can generate two issues. We're going to see in the Gemara. It can either, this guy's going to say, wow, this is beneath my dignity. How could it be? So we give him other things to placate him. We give him Pores HaLashma. We give him Over Teva in order to level out the Kavod. That's one thing. Or the other possibility is that they're going to fight over who gets what Kavod. So if you have somebody who's going to be Over Teva and somebody's getting Maftir, they were both going to say, I want to be Over Teva. I don't want to be the Maftir. So we solve the problem and say one person gets them all. So there's no question here about comparisons between them. So again, today, people feel that Maftir of Torah is like the biggest Aliyah and the best one. A lot of that derives from the fact that there are multiple brachot that we say on the Torah. 
And those multiple rachod generate the equivalent of what we do with Kaddish, like a Kiddush Hashem, or having the Tzibur answer, and therefore people see that as a schult or a benefit for the mate. So that's why the Haftorah or the Brikota Haftorah became such a big thing. Here it's clear that they viewed it as something that was of a lower status, and because of that they had to make up or they had to give them extra things. Now in terms of who knows said Kapav, that if the person's a Kohen, he's going to be no Seh Kapav, what does that mean? Of course there's going to be no Seh Kapav. Every Kohen that's there is going to be no Seh Kapav. Why would you have any other Havamina? So Tosvod Yom Tov here on the Mishnah asked that question about why that is. He gives an answer which is very difficult. He says that this Kohen gets to lead the other Kohenim. But we don't find any such halacha, we don't find this in the Gemara anywhere, that one Kohen leads the other Kohenim. So there are other answers that are offered in terms of, what does it mean, no Seh Kapav? So one of them is that if you're in a shul that is entirely made up of koanim, the rule is in the Gemara and Sotah that you have to leave ten koanim behind in the kahal, and then the rest of the koanim go up in duchen. So he won't be one of those ten that's left back in the kahal. That's one way people answer. The other possibility is if he's the shleach tzibor. So generally, the Gemara says that in terms of shleach tzibor, we dissuade the shleach tzibor if he's a koan from duchenim, because it'd be hard for him to return to the davening. And that's where the Shulchan Aruch paskins. The Shulchan Aruch says that we generally dissuade and we don't allow a Kohen who's the Shliach Tzibor to Duchen. But this would be an exception. He would get to Duchen, even though he's the Shliach Tzibor, because of this exception to the rule. And our practice today is to allow the Shliach Tzibor to do it, partly because we have Sidurim, which helps the problem of getting mixed up. And again, Kohenim are more tuned to the davening and Duchening, and therefore they're able to do it. But in the case where they wouldn't allow him to do that, in this case it would make exception for it. So that's what it means, Vihuno Seid Kapav. Imhaya Katan, what happens if the Katan gets the Maftir? We saw before that a Katan is allowed to get the Maftir, he's allowed to get an Aliyah as well, but we generally don't do that, Mishum Kvodet Sibur. But at least in terms of Maftir, a Katan can get the Maftir. Well, if a Katan gets the Maftir, you have a problem because he can't be Pores Alashman over Lifnei Teva because he's being Motsi the Tzibur, and he can't be Motsi the Tzibur. Even though these are Dinim de Rabbanan, and a Katan is Chayav and Chinuch de Rabbanan, as Tosafot points out, that is only true when you have level derabanans. Over here you have the katan is a double derabanan, and the adults are a single derabanan, trade derabanan, and therefore he can't be motzi others because he's a trade derabanan and they're one derabanan. So how do we solve that problem? Avivo rabo ovrima yodo. His father or his rebbe get that honor. And that's how we solve the problem, by giving them the honor in place of the katan, who he himself can't do this or can't, Take the honor of Pareil Shema even though he got the Maftir bin Avi. And the Katan is part of the problem. That's why, since we give the Maftir to a Katan, that's why somebody might feel it's beneath their dignity to get it, because we give it to Katanim as well. Alright, so now the Gemara continues with the Katan. Katan Korebe Torah. Katan can lane. Umitar game. And he can also translate. Now the Ran brings down that that if a Katan reads, then you cannot have an adult be Mitar game. Because that is not proper etiquette to have a katan be the one who's reading the Torah and then have an adult be translating on his behalf. Because the translator is a step below the one who's reading the Torah. So if you have someone reading the Torah, then a katan could be mitargeim. Or if a katan is reading the Torah, then maybe you should have a katan be mitargeim. Aval, enu Lashma, he's not allowed to lead the services from Baruchu until Shmona Esrei. He can't be the shots. He can't do chazerata shots. And he's not allowed to duchen. So now, as far as Enu Tashema, Tosavot over here claims that even Rabbi Yehuda, who before said that a katan can read the Megillah, over here would agree that he can't be Pereset Tashema. And Tosavot explains because 
Even though by Megillah, Tosfot claimed he had the same problem, that a katan is trade the Rabbanan, trying to be mozi, other people who are a single the Rabbanan, that's why the Chachamim disagreed. But over there, Rabbi Huda said he can do it. Why did Rabbi Huda say you can't do that? So we discussed this back on the Yudad, which was that the fact that the Katan was Afhein Bayu Ba'oto Anes. They were also in the danger of Laharog Ashmidu Labed at Kol Yehudim. And so therefore Rabbi Huda elevates them to a single Darabanan. He says that the Katanim and Nashim are Chayavim Legamre, like any other Din Darabanan, and that's why they can equate and they can be Motzi others. On the other hand here, by Pareset Tashmai, you don't have that logic, and therefore the Katan will remain trade Darabanan, even according to Rabbi Huda. So even though Rabbi Yehudu says by Megillah, Katan can be Motzid Tzibur, he will agree here that he cannot be Pareset Tashmai, and he cannot be Over Lifnei Teva. Now, Ve'en Onoset Kapav, a Katan is not allowed to Dochen. Tosafot raises here, the Ran, the Rishonim all raised the issue over here. What do you mean? A katan can't go and dochen. We have other Gemaras that say a katan can dochen. That's number one. And number two is we have another Gemara in Chulin that a gadol can only go up and dochen when he has nitmalez kanol. His beard has grown in. So you actually have here three different thresholds. We have in the Gemara in Sukkah, the katana yodea lisakapav. A katan who knows how to dochen can go up and dochen. Our Gemara over here says a katan is not allowed to dochen. And then another Gemara says even when he's a gadol, he can't dochen until he gets a beard. So Tosafot reconciles all of these by separating them out and saying that number one, a katan by himself cannot go up in Dukhan. It's inappropriate for a katan to be the one giving the bracha to the tzibor, and therefore a katan alone may not go up in Dukhan. That's number one. Number two is, a katan along with a gadol can go up in Dukhan because they learn to learn how to Dukhan so he can go up with his father and learn how to Dukhan when he's together with him. Now, Tosavot says that's only true when it's a regular day. Not the Tosavot here, this is the Tosavot in Sukkah. And Tosavot in Sukkah says that when it comes to special days, like Yom Kippur and other days like that, we don't allow the Katan to go up even with his father. Because it's, these are serious days of tefillah, and therefore we don't let the Katan go up. As far as having to grow a beard, Tosavot says if they've grown in a beard fully, then they can be kavua. They can go up and dochen all the time. They don't have their beard fully grown in, then they can dochen on occasion, just to show that they're a coin, but they can't dochen all the time. And the Shulchan Aruch actually brings down the distinctions that are brought here by the Tosafot. He happens to leave out the issue about the distinction that Tosafot says that on special days of tefillah, like Yom HaKippurim, that the Ketanim should not go up there. And the Beraloch over there comments on that, asks the question of why the Shulchan Aruch left it out. But the practice today in many places in Eretz Yisrael is to have youngsters go up with their parents and dochen that's on a regular day, Yom Kippur, any time of the year, that youngsters do go up with their parents once they know, Lisad Kapav, that they go up. And that's become generally the accepted practice in most of Ashkenaz in places that they do Dochen. Alright, now, the Mishnah continues. So this terminology here, this Pocheach, is a little difficult to translate. Rashi, over here on the Mishnah, says that Pocheach translates to someone who is Yachif, someone who is barefoot, Although he says that the word has to do with karayim. So karayim is, seems to be more than feet. It seems to me that his legs are exposed. On the other hand, Tosafot says that the translation of pachi is arum. Someone is naked. Now, it doesn't mean literally naked. It means someone who is wearing clothes that are in tatters. And since their clothes are in tatters, then they have exposure of areas that are normally covered. That's the way Tosafot translates it. The riff, and the Tosafot here actually quotes the riff, which is interesting. Riff himself, when he's describing what this is, or what the pocheach is, he says it's someone who's wearing a cloth, or like say equivalent of a towel, that's wrapped around his loins, and covers him below, but leaves his shoulders and his arms exposed. 
That's what the Shulchan quotes as Pukhayach. Although you can see here in the Bach and in others that they talk about the fact that it's referencing the exposure of the legs and the exposure of anywhere that's normally covered or should be covered. If those areas are exposed, then it's a problem. As Rashi says, because it's a problem of Kavodat Torah and Kavodat Tzibur. Ganaihu for the Tzibur for someone to go up like that, and it's not Kavodat Torah for them to go up like that. So as far as Pareza Tashma and Targum, those are allowed in this condition. Pareza Tashma because the person really doesn't go up in front of the Tzibur, he does it from his seat. And the Metargim, as we said before, that's a lower form of honor than actually reading the Torah. Of Eino Koreh Torah, he's not allowed to get an Aliyah, he's not allowed to read the Torah. He's not allowed to be the shots. He's not allowed to dochen. So this does raise serious issues with people in shorts. It seems to be that the Gemara is discussing this as well, that people in shorts should not be able to get aliyot, go up in dochen, or to be the shliach tzibor. Again, it's a gnai hulet tzibor, it's not kavodah Torah. And over here, this pocheach, you could argue two things. One is this pocheach is someone who's closer in tatters. It's not someone who has proper clothing on, that it's in shorts. Here we're talking about someone who is in a disheveled state, in a terrible state, and they're exposing areas and their clothes are ripped, so it's not kavod. But someone who's wearing clothing that are shorts, which are acceptable clothing, maybe you could argue that that's appropriate. As well as the fact that you could argue that if it's an issue of gnaihu the tzibur, then it might have to do with how the tzibur views someone in shorts. Because if they are okay with that, they don't feel that as a gnai, then maybe it would be okay for them to go up in shorts in that case. But if you look at it objectively, saying it's not Kavod Torah, then it could still present a problem. And most places, and most people assume, that shorts should be problematic in terms of being a Shliach Tzibor, in terms of Dochening, and in terms of getting Aliyah the Torah. Suma, blind person, Poreset Shema. He's allowed to be Poreset Shema, even though the Brocha of Shema, the first Brocha, which is Poreset Shema, is talking about Meorot, about lights. And the Suma doesn't have any benefit from the lights. Nevertheless, he's allowed to be Poreset Shema, Umitargame. It can definitely be Umitargame because that's quote unquote Torah Shibbe He doesn't have to read anything from the Ktav. He can do it by heart and that's totally fine. So he can be a translator. Someone who's been blind from birth, congenitally blind, then he cannot say the Brach of Yotzer or, and he can't be Pareis Alashma. Whereas someone who once had eyesight or was able to see light, then they are permitted to be Pareis at the Shema, because they can make the bracha, because they once got benefit, or they had benefit at some point from the light. So that's the Yehuda's position. The Gemara will discuss the two positions later on. Tosavut over here discusses this Gemara relative to other Gemaras, whether Suma is Chayav in a mitzvot, Patur in a mitzvot. And then he says that Midoraita Suma is Patur in a mitzvot, but Midorabanan, they were Mechayv as Suma in a mitzvot, so they shouldn't be like a Nochri. Because otherwise, if we weren't Mechayv in a mitzvot, a Suma would be like a Goy. It would have no obligations whatsoever. And he contrasts that with a woman who is Turah from Mitzvot HaSeshah's Mangrama, but yet she still has many Mitzvot. He only has a small subset that she's Turah from, but a Sumah would be Patur across the board. And that they found unacceptable, and therefore they're Mechayev Midrabanan, the Sumah in Mitzvot. That brings up the issue here. If they're only Chayavim Midrabanan, can they be mostly other people? The Tosvot over here makes a distinction between a Sumah and a Katan. He said before, a Katan who's only Chayav Midrabanan, that's trade the Rabbanan, and they can't be mostly others. On the other hand, by Suma, he makes an exception to the rule. It's the last line in the Tosfot. Here he says, Since he's a Gadol and he's a Bardat, he's better than a Katan, and he's almost like a higher elevation of the Rabbanan than a Katan. And because of that, he can be Motsi others. And that's how Tosfot reconciles or deals with other places where it seems like seemingly 
that a Sumash should not be able to be motzi others because of his thesis that trade the Rabbanan cannot be motzi a single the Rabbanan. All right, now the Gemara says, my time. What is the reason that the Maftir Benavi gets to be Pareis Lashema over Lifneyateva? So Rapapa Amar Mishum Kavot. It's because otherwise it would be beneath his dignity, and here we're trying to make it up and to level out the playing field in terms of Kavot. Rabbi Bashimi Amar Mishum Da'atili Insuye. Because people are going to fight about who gets the better Kavot, who gets the over Lifneyateva versus who gets the Maftir. Now it seems, from the Gemara coming up, it seems like they actually paid the person who was over Teva, and that also has ramifications, which is, my binayu, what's the difference between David If he's willing to daven for free. So if he's willing to daven for free, then there's no issue in terms of fighting about who's going to get paid, because here's a guy who's willing to do it for free. So that would take away the issue of fighting, but would still leave over the issue of Kavod, which is that the Maftir is still beneath his dignity. So that's the one nafkamina between them. Tznam, imayakatan, aviv, orabo, vrimayado. He's a katan, then his father's rebbe get that honor. Yamart mishum nitsuye, and tsuye, if you say it's because they're gonna have altercations about who gets what, katan bar nitsuyeu? Since when is a katan someone who gets into altercations? He's just gonna, whatever he gets, he's gonna be happy with. He's not thinking like, oh, I didn't get to be over the fneateva, I got this, I didn't get that. He doesn't have an option for the other item, because he can't dominate fneateva. Whereas says, alamai mishum kavod, well, you're going to see now that Rav Papa's right, and the whole reason here that we give him these extra things is kavod, katan bar kavodu. Again, a katan doesn't have this type of status or stature that we have to worry about him feeling that he's been slighted in any way. Ella, what's the answer? kavod aviv kavod What does it mean kavod? Kavod doesn't mean his personal kavod. It means the kavod of his caretaker, of whoever is responsible for him, whether it's his father or his rabbi. Achanami ikenitsui aviv benitsui rabbo. Same thing in terms of the altercations that might come up. It won't be between him and the other individuals. It'll be between his caretaker, his custodian, and the person who's davening. And therefore, they're going to stand up for their rights or for the rights of the katan. And that's what's going to cause the altercations over here. So in order to avoid that, they granted him the tashma, not him, but his guardian. Right now, the Gemara continues. Katan is dressed in this manner. Can he read the Torah? So the question is, and as Rashid says here, the problem for the Gadol is lo vatavar. The problem is that you're exposing areas that are normally covered. Now those areas that are normally covered for an adult or serious issues, there's erva. For a Katan, he doesn't have erva. So the question here is, maybe a Pocheach by a Katan should be okay. So I'm relayed, what's his response? If it's not a problem, let him go up there naked. Why does he have to have any clothing on if it's not a problem of erva? So I rule my time alone. Why do we not allow him to go up naked? Mishum kvodat zibur. It's a problem of kvodat zibur. It's not appropriate. So also over here, achanami mishum kvodat zibur. So even though erva is not a significant issue or a serious issue for a katan, it's still a problem of kvodat zibur. And therefore, a pocheach katan is going to have that same problem of kvodat zibur, not because of erva. Now, by an adult, you have an additional issue, which is that erva now becomes involved, not simply the issue of kvodat zibur. Now, sumah pores alashma. Tanya, Amrul Ola Rabbi Yehuda, Harbeit Safuli Drosh Bermerkava, Velo Rotoh Many people were Doresh about the Maisam Merkava in the beginning of Sefer Yechezkel, and they never saw it in their lifetime. So how are they describing things they never saw? How are they commenting on things they never saw? So why can't you say the same thing here? Even though the Sumah never saw light, he can talk about it, he can intellectually grasp it. Rabbi Yehuda explains there's a difference. Hotam Ba'avanto Deliba Talia over there, it has to do with the understanding the depth of the issue at hand. 
And therefore, you don't need to see it in order to describe it. If he puts his mind to it, he'll understand it, and he'll be able to explain it. The case of the bracha by praising Lashmami, it's a birkat anenin in a sense. It's a bracha over the benefit of the light that a God provides. This summa doesn't get that benefit. And if he doesn't get that benefit, he can't make the bracha. It says, the Rabbanan disagree and say, summa does also get benefit from the light. My whole life, I didn't understand this pasuk. He'll be groping around in the afternoon, the way that a blind person gropes around in dark. It says, Why does it make a difference to a blind person whether it's dark or light? You know that the description of the Pasuk says, Oh, it's an Iver ba'afela. Well, an Iver ba'afela, Iver ba'or makes no difference. So why would it describe him as an Iver? It could just say Iver. What's Iver ba'afela? Until something happened, an incident happened, and that helped me to understand this pasuk. I was going in the dark of the night, and it was completely black. I see this blind guy walking down the block, and he has a torch in his hand. This torch, why do you have it? As long as I have this torch in my hand, People see me walking. They'll stop me from falling into the ditches, or into the thorns, or into the brambles, bushes. They'll protect me, because the light that I'm providing, first of all, makes them aware of the fact that I'm there. And on top of that, that light gives them light to see what's happening with me, and they'll help me out. So, ah, now I understand. There is a difference for a suma during the day and a suma at night. The difference is not necessarily from him personally, but it's from the benefit that he receives from other people having that light, that there is a benefit. And so he is nehene from the light, because in this situation of light, other people are able to help him and see what his needs are. When there's no light, they're not able to help him. Because of that, he can make the bracha of Lutzer Or, according to the Chachamim. Right, next Mishnah. Kohen, Chesh Biadav Mumim. Lo Yisad Kapav. Kohen that has blemishes, problems with his hands, he may not dochen. Over here, there are two reasons brought for why you may not dochen. One of them is, Rashi noted over here, that when the Kohanim dochen, the Shekhinah rests on top of their hands, and one is not permitted to look at the Shekhinah. But, if this person has mumim, has something unusual about their hands, it's going to draw people's attention, and they're going to look, and they're going to see the hands, or they're going to see the Shekhinah there, which is inappropriate. Or, the second thing is, it has to do with Yushami mentions as well, it has to do with Hesachadat, that the people are supposed to be listening to the bracha and receiving the bracha. Instead, if there's something unusual about the coins up there, they're going to be distracted by that item. So for whatever reason is, one of those two reasons, we say that a coin that has these issues may not go up there and dochen. Now over here we're talking about hands. We're going to see in a second that it has to deal with feet and face as well. So in that instance, it's clear that it's not talking about the shechina alone. It's talking about the fact that it would be distracting. Although you could argue that if any part of their exposed body had something unusual about it, you'd look over there and you'd catch a glimpse of the Shekhinah anyway, because through your peripheral vision or since you're looking at the coin anyway. But for whatever reason, it's either just, it's a distraction or it draws your attention, which would be problematic. So, even one whose hands are dyed. Now, stis, generally, stis means some blue color, although the Ran over here brings istis, which he says is red, although generally it's pua that is red, and this seems to be some sort of blue. And it's a woad this. Again, the same problem. Here it's not a mum, 
but it's something that attracts attention by the fact that his hands are dyed a different color. So now, Tana Mumim Shamru These problematic Mumim blemishes apply to his hands, his feet, and his face. Because those are all areas that are exposed for the Kohen. And if somebody sees them, they could distract them. Someone whose hands are, now Bohak in the Torah means white, but also can mean spotted. So if a person's hands are extremely white or spotted, they're unusual in that way, he shouldn't do it. You have a brighter that supports that statement. So akumot means that they are bent over. Akushot means that they are bent to the side. Kumot means either bent, Ron says backwards, or Rashi says forwards, or Akushot means to the sides. The Ron seems to indicate that they're webbed in some way. Loisad kapav. Ishin dochen again, because these are unusual things that are going to draw people's attention, distract them. Ravasi, Chaifani, Ubaishani, Loisad kapav. Chaifani means someone from Haifa. Chaifani means somebody from Beit Shan. Loisad kapav. They should not dochen. That supports that. You're not allowed to bring up as a shatz. People from Beit Shan, people from Haifa, people from Haifa. Why? They can't distinguish, like we do, or many of us have this problem, they can't distinguish between an aleph and an ayin. Since they can't distinguish between aleph and ayin, they're going to say the word ya'er, Hashem. They're going to pronounce it as ya'er, which is within ayin. And that means to curse, so that's something negative. And so they're going to say the wrong thing. It's going to become a curse instead of a bracha. So it's inappropriate for them to go up if they can't distinguish or determine between an aleph and an ayin. Again, we have the same thing. The Gemara and Brachot discusses it with regards to Kriyat Shema, that you have to be able to distinguish between an aleph and an ayin. So Rabbi Chia, the Rabbi Shimon Bar Rabbi. So Rabbi Chia is a Talmud of Rabbi, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Rabbi is his son. So they're quasi-peers here. So Rabbi Chia says to Rabbi Shimon Bar Rabbi, Ilmalei. And here, by the way, you see the Gilean Ashas. This is the Gilean Ashas that we saw the Tosafot for back on Daf Chof Aleph Umed Aleph. He points you that Tosafot, which is Ilmalei with a Yud means, should it be? And whereas Ilmalei with an Aleph means, it should not be. So here, Ilmalei Atta Levi. Had you been a Levi, Basul Atta Mine Duchan. You would not be able to go up and be a Levi on the Duchan. Mishum da Avi Kalech. Because your voice is... The word avi means thick, which would mean that it's either heavy or it's deep. But I think here it means that you don't keep a tune. You're tone deaf. So you're not, you wouldn't be a good levi because that would be posel. A bad voice is posel a levi. So Rabshim Baryabi went to tell his father what Rabbi had said about him. So again, it makes it sound like Rabshim Baryabi is younger than Rabbi Chia, even though, again, Rabbi Chia and Rabshim Baryabi are both Tamidim of his father, Rabbi. So Rabbi Zil Emelei. So go back to Bichi and tell him, When you get to that pasuk in Yeshayahu, When you pronounce it, aren't you blaspheming and cursing Hashem? Because Rabbi Chia was unable to distinguish between a chet and a hey. Therefore, when he read it, he would read it as, I hit Hashem. Instead of which means to wait. So he would mispronounce it, and it would, isn't that like being mecharif and megadev? So Rabbi says, Rabbi Chia, don't be so quick to point out some other people's problems here. You have a problem with your articulation in terms of the letters of chet and hey, and therefore you shouldn't be poking fun at my son, Shimon Bar Rabbi. Happens to be very interesting because Rabbi Chia is from Eretz Yisrael. His name actually has a chet in it. And here the Gemara is saying that he is unable to distinguish between a hey and a chet. Tosafot points out even further that Rabbi asked Rabbi Chia to be a shatz. 
to go down on a tanit and yom hashem misoka the polim to daven on behalf of the tzibur. How do you make him the shots if he doesn't have to distinguish between a hay and a chet? So that's what it says over there that if he really tries hard, he's able to distinguish. But when he's just talking without giving it a lot of thought, then he's not able to distinguish it. Right now, the Gemara continues over here. Amar Vuna, Zav the Gan, Lo Yisad Kapav. Someone who tears heavily or on a regular basis should not go up to Dochin. Again, it's a distraction, something that attracts attention. Wasn't there one like that in the neighborhood of Ravuna? Here's Ravuna, the Bala Memra. There's a guy like this in his neighborhood. And he would go up in Dochin. And he didn't say anything. It says, People already were familiar with this individual. And therefore, it wasn't a distraction because they knew about it. They had seen this before. Tiny Nami Ochi, we have a bright that supports that. That a person who tears on a regular basis, or drools maybe is the other possibility, he should not duchin. But if he's well known to the people of the city, and he won't be a distraction because it's not unusual anymore, then it's mutar. A person who is blind in one eye, maybe missing one eye, should not go up in duchin. Wait, we have a case where someone in his own neighborhood, Rabbi Yochanan's neighborhood, was missing one eye or blind in one eye, and he was duchening. Again, how This person who was familiar to the people of the city, and it wasn't considered to be something unusual or distracting. It's actually has ramifications today in Eretz Yisrael, where they duchen on a regular basis. So, for instance, if a coin breaks his leg or breaks his foot, and now he has a cast on it and something's changed, that would be a problem in terms of distracting the tzibur. So if that happens to a Kohen, it's very likely that they cannot duchen in that case because of this Gemara over here. Ah, what about the fact of dash biro? So many believe that dash biro requires a certain amount of time that you have this situation at hand. A person who breaks a foot or a leg, in that case, it just happened. And now they have a cast on it. It's actually very distracting. People are going to take note of it. There's something different about this individual. So when is it considered to be dash biro? Many say that it takes 30 days, at least a minimum of 30 days before it's considered to be dash biro. So for many people, that's pretty close to when they're going to get the cast off anyway. So it turns out that a Kohen that has that problem may not be able to duchen for a period of time. Again, if it extends for a long duration, then they will be duchening because of dash biro. People are very familiar with this individual already, and it won't be distracting. Someone has dyed hands, should not duchen. If the majority of the city works in whatever field this is that causes the hands to be dyed, then everybody has it. And no longer becomes something that's unusual, it becomes something that is the commonplace. If it's commonplace, it's not going to be a distraction. So therefore, in that city, it's not an issue. You can go up and duchen. Right now, next Mishnah says, Homer, Eni over lifnea teva bitzvuin. I'm not going to be the shots while I'm wearing my colored clothing. Af bilavanim lo yavor. Then if he puts on white clothing, he can't go up. Bisandal eni over. I'm not going up there with my sandals on. Af yachef lo yavor. Even barefoot, he can't go up there. By the way, this is one of the proofs the Ram brings against Rashi's shot over there in terms of what pocheach is, because here it says, the Mishnah says clearly, you can go up barefoot. That's not an issue. So how can you translate it as being barefoot, being an issue in that previous Gemara? So af yachef lo yavor. In that case, he can't even go up barefoot. Someone who makes his tefillin round, that is dangerous. And you don't get any mitzvah for it. If he wears his tefillin on his forehead, or on the palm of his hand, this is someone who is outside the realm. He is 
off the reservation in terms of his understanding of Torah. He's rejecting Chazal's drasha with regards to this. Tzipan Zahav, if he makes his tefillin and he plates them with gold, or he wears it above his shirt, that's the way of the outsiders. Now, it's not a direct push against Chazal or a front to Chazal's interpretation, but it's still problematic what this person is doing, and therefore we would object to what they are doing. Now, the Gemara is going to discuss what exactly the issue are with all of these things. I'll just know two things over here. One is in terms of wearing it on top of your clothing. The reason that you can't wear tefillin on top of your clothing is because it says, that it should be a oath for you, and not others. So the oath has to be private to you. So you can't wear it on top of your clothing. You have to wear it underneath your clothing, or at least hidden, so that it's not exposed. So that's why you can't do this. The rash ball, based on that, says, well, if that's the case, that should only be true by tefillin shoyad. By tefillin shorosh, you should be able to wear it on top of a hat, on top of whatever head covering you have, because there the demand is, that everybody sees your tefillin. So you don't have this drush of ayud yadcha by the tefillin shorosh. And therefore the Rashbaugh wants to permit by the tefillin shorosh that things will not be a hefsik between you and where the tefillin shorosh needs to sit. I mean, other Rishonim disagree with the Rashbaugh, but it's a very interesting deal that the Rashbaugh makes out of this Gemara. So now Gemara says, My time, Why is this case here that we worry about a person who starts saying, I only daven with colored clothing, or daven if I'm wearing barefoot, not when I'm wearing sandals, is because, Shema Minut Nizrukabo, taking on some of the practices of Vodazarah, where they're makbid on these things, where these things have certain significance or importance. And since he's done that, he is now suspect. And since he's suspect, we're not going to let him go up and carry out his plans, because now we suspect that he may not be on the true and narrow path, and he might have gone off the derech to some of Zarah or starts to believe in these other things where these things should make a difference. And now, someone who makes his tefillin round, it's dangerous, so what is the problem here? Rashi says the problem is, if it's round, then the problem is that if you bang your head into something, and it's round, it's going to puncture your head, and it's going to be dangerous, it's really physically dangerous to have a round tefillin. Beit mitzvah is because you're not supposed to have round tefillin, you're supposed to have square tefillin. Rabbeinu Tam says something interesting, he says that sakana here doesn't mean danger, but means bizmana sakana, bizmana zerata machut, when they say you're not allowed to wear tefillin. So if you're going to wear tefillin that are round, you're not yotzei the mitzvah. So then you're not going to have the protection of the tefillin when you are wearing the tefillin despite the gzerah. And so then, what's the point? You're going to wear this, you're going to get killed because you're wearing tefillin, but they're not tefillin, so they're not going to protect you, you're not getting the mitzvah either. So that's the way the Rebbein Utam reads this, Mishum Sakana, just because you're not accomplishing the Mishra with the round tefillin. So now the Gemara says, Let's say our Mishnah is supportive of a member that we have, but we don't have any support in a Mishnah. Maybe this Mishnah support what we said over here, which is the Tan Rabbanan, Tefillin Mubo'ot, Halach Moshe Misinai. Square tefillin is Halach Moshe Misinai, and Vamarova B'Tafran Halach Sonan. That's true about their stitching, as well as the diagonal. So therefore, why don't we say that our Mishnah supports that idea that they have to be Square. Now Rashi says over here, what Rava means with tafran is that if you tie the stitches around the tefillin, if you pull it too tight, then you're actually going to take away the squareness of the tefillin, and that's a problem. Tosafot, on the other hand, says no, the Rebbein Tam says, basically that tafran means the stitching around the tefillin also has to be a square, which is what we do. That's our practice, that the stitching around the tefillin is also done in a square manner. Alaksonan means that the diagonal has to be Pythagorean diagonal, and that's to teach you that it has to be a perfect square, that it has to be etzba etzba, and then the middle has to be an etzba and shnei chumshin, 
So it has to be a perfect square that you're talking about. So Amar Papa, no, that's not necessarily a proof. Our mission is not necessarily a proof to that because Matnitan di Ivdaki Manguza. Our mission is talking when he made it like a nut. So when he makes it a nut, a nut is very sharp. So that type of thing is a sakana, it's dangerous because it's sharp and it can puncture your head. So that's what our mission is talking about. You're not allowed to do that. But you could suggest from our Mishnah, if it had the shape of an egg, or if it was like a flatter round, maybe that would be okay. So that's what the statement of the Gemara over there says, that Aloha Lemoshi Misinai is that it has to be square. We wouldn't learn that out of this Mishnah here, because the Mishnah only says you can't use sharp objects, or objects that would be dangerous. But objects that wouldn't be dangerous, who says it has to be square? So that's what the Gemara here comes along to tell us. That that's a local machine that it must be square. Okay, we're gonna stop over here.